Well, we say good morning to everybody. And uh, we say praise the Lord. Our praises can't be enough, can they? Is the Lord among us? Well, I'm glad you guys can say so because there were about 2 million people who didn't think so in the text that we look at today. And remember, as we look at Exodus, yeah, we see the failure of the Israelites and then we see where there is obedience sometimes. But what we really see, who we really see is God. We see His presence there. Always. He was always with them. Cloud by day, fire by night. And yet, they had the audacity to say, is the Lord among us? Hard to believe. Have we ever said that? Is God really here? Is He really in this? Throughout the book of Exodus, He manifests His character. His very nature. And He shows how good and marvelous and wonderful, how powerful He really is, how sovereign So when you look at a book of the Bible, look at it, first of all, to see how big God is. And then look at and see how that story goes. And so, we uh, are in this stage. We're on this stage. We look at them back at that time as they were on this stage. We're all in the theater of God, down through the annals of time, right on through the time that Christ comes back. And He's the all in all. He's what it's about. And that's what we uh, look to. And uh, so let's, let's look at God here as we see how the people fail and still His faithfulness, His mercy and grace is just incredible. We're in the journey. We're in the desert. Haven't been there long. The Israelites have been given water when it didn't seem like they were going to get water. They were given manna when it didn't seem like they were going to ever eat again. They were going to starve to death. God tested them, didn't He? God knew exactly what He was doing and then He provided for them at the precise time exactly what they needed. God always has done that for His people and He always will. On both of those tests, They complained and they exposed their hearts where they were really at. You're talking about the depravity of man. Well, we really see that with the children in the wilderness. But that is us too, isn't it? They have to learn who He is. They have to see His character, His nature. How can they trust in Him if they don't know Him? This is eternal life that they may know Thee. We are to know God. And that's the reason uh, that we exist. How can we glorify Him if we don't know Him? We know Him through the book. In the book. They just don't trust the Lord when they absolutely need Him the most. His presence alone. Cloud. Fire. That should have been enough. Shouldn't it? 
Shouldn't that have been enough, that knowing that God is there? And then you think of all the works. Think of the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. And then they gave him great praise with that song, sets him out in the wilderness. Then he gives them water, he gives them food, and here we are again. Their third rebellion. That's, that's the text today. They are going to complain about water again. And just in case you think that I'm repeating the one we did a few weeks ago, it's here again. (laughs) So we have to deal with that again. But so it goes with us. Sometimes we go through tests that we have done before. And you can say, why am I stuck in this rut? Well, he doesn't let you get out of that rut sometimes until you have really gotten past it depending on, on him. They don't see that He has the absolute best interest for them. He cares much more than they do. They don't even think that He is with them. Now, God directs Israel into difficult situations. And the reason that is, is to prove His power and to build their faith and their character. That is the reason that He brings difficulties upon His children. He does that to each one of us. We know, I may not like to think about that sometimes, but it is true. That's that's what happens. That's what He's doing as we're on this stage. The stage that is broken. And we are broken actors on the broken stage. I borrowed that. I gave uh, everybody CDs I I trust. I hope I got everybody. And when you hear that fourth CD about the broken stage, boy, it nailed uh, a couple of thousand people or so. Everybody just was just in awe. Um, That was by Mark Talbot. Hard time remember that last name, but uh, I'll I'll ever remember him and, and that message. Broken actors on a broken stage. And this is what we look at today here. God is giving us tests. They are meant to strengthen us. They have done it already. He'll continue to give us those tests. Trust and obedience. That's what we've been talking about for several weeks, isn't it? That's the key. To trust, to obey. When you're in the journey, in the desert, trust Obey. That's that's where it's at. Is the Lord with us? Well, let's go into the text. You know what I'm going to have you do? Been having you do this a lot today. But I'm going to have you stand up. <laughs> Learned this from the conference. They had him standing a lot. <laughs> we're going to read the Word of God in honor of Him. To Him, we're going to read the first seven verses. That's where we're at today, chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, 
go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. Direct us into Your truth and make it impact each one of us so that we can trust in You more this hour than we have before. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Old Test. It's repeated. It comes back up again. And it starts out really good in verse 1. You have to like it. It's talking about obeying the very command of the Lord. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. They did it. They got up. They obeyed. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Right now they're trusting Him. They're obeying. Starts off good. They're being led by God. They know that. They're on their way. But are they ready for a test? I'm sure they're thinking, glad we got out of that test. That's probably done now. We are ready to move on. We're okay. Hope to never get another test ever. (laughs) And then it says they're in the wilderness of sin. And now they're camping in Rephidim. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. They're getting close. They're getting very close to Mount Sinai. You know what Mount Sinai is? It's the Ten Commandments. It's the law. By the way, you really find grace there too. We're going to find grace in this story. We're going to see grace and we're going to see law. But uh, it, uh, it needs to be learned. So they are around that area. They don't find the water there. They were probably thinking, oh, we'll find water here. And they didn't get what they expected. They were forced to depend upon the Lord God Almighty again. And they complain again. As they are forced to complain, they don't really trust. So when adversity comes to them, what do they do? They don't develop a spirit of faith. They're not developing that. They had failed this test once before. They're going to fail it again. And you would think that they would remember what He had done before. He provided water before. We had to wait, but He did get it to us. They should have thought of that. We were hungry, but He gave us the manna, a miracle. It was a little late, but He was true. Oh man, I'm really getting thirsty. It goes on for hours and hours. I'm I'm really getting dry now. What's going to happen? And now all of a sudden, they get into a situation even worse than last time. Because it says in verse 2, Therefore the people contended with Moses. Why didn't they fly right to God that time? You know what I mean by fly? Go right to Him in prayer. Why didn't they do that? But who did they go to? Moses. Moses did this to us. You can't do that. 
He doesn't have that kind of power. Who does have the power to bring the thirst? And then who has the power to relieve that thirst? God and God alone. But they always go back to Moses. So they complain like they did before, but it's worse. Before they ask who will give us food, and they grumbled. That's bad. But now they not only grumble, but I want you to look at that word there. They contended with him, or they quarreled with him. This is more than grumbling. Now they're, they're actually threatening and angrily commanding Moses to give them water. And when you get a few people together and they start talking, all of a sudden it starts spreading. And I mean, this is multiplying to millions. And they're all grumbling and now they are contending with Moses. There he is with Aaron. And I imagine they are really getting scared because you get a crowd that's out of control. You may not make it through it. And that's what Moses is thinking. So they challenged him. And I think their answer to all of this is that, or the answer to all of this is why are they doing it is, well, their hearts are still in Egypt. The hearts are like what they were before God ever even delivered them out of there. Sometimes we as Christians act like unbelievers. We say things and we do things that's not according to our character and what a shame. (laughs) And so that's why we can take this and say, oh, God's giving me a test. I failed this test before. I failed this test again and again. I failed this a lot. Uh, Lord, I'm trusting you on this. I'm gonna. That's what we need to do. We need to look at him. A test can make one better, or it can make one worse. Make them very hard. It's the attitude. It's the attitude out of the heart that determines what it's going to be. Are you going to learn out of this? Are you going to refuse to learn and be giving up on God? If you trust Him and you let Him have His way in doing this, let Him work for you and not against Him, you're going to pass that test. Now, Israel likes the idea of a scapegoat. They'll learn that in the law eventually, but they, see, they have a scapegoat now and the scapegoat is Moses. They blame Moses because he's the easiest target. He's the one leading them. So therefore, he's the one that brought us out of here. And now, maybe we ought to just kill him. So it's gotten to that point. At least that's what Moses is saying, and I tend to believe that. Well, Moses responds back at the end of verse 2. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? He, he reproves the murmurers here. He reminds the people that a complaint against him actually is against who? God Himself. And He's absolutely right. When it says, if your version says, tempt the Lord, test would probably be better. Why are you testing the Lord? You are testing the Lord. You're being tested and you're testing Him back. We never have the right to test the Lord, do we? But He tests us. So, he says, um, you know, all you're doing is 
is blaming it on God. He tried to get the people not to blame him for the situation. And they should be taking this issue up with God. Because there is no way that he's going to have the solution to this. Moses, I mean. How, how's he going to give them water? You know, he doesn't have any more chance than they do. Who do they think he was anyway? He's been put in a position by God uh, to lead them and speak for God, but their quarrel actually is with the Lord. And so he asks why. Why are you testing? What he wants to do, and this is what a spiritual leader is really to do, to turn the eyes of the people to the Lord. Not to look at any other human, but to go right to the Lord and take it up with Him. And when you're in His throne room, recognizing that He's the Lord of all, then when you look to God, you're not looking at your circumstances. You're looking at Him for the solution to the situation you're in or how you're supposed to look at it. All through the wandering, Moses has to put up with this repeated testing of the Lord. They're testing the Lord. Of course, we know that's not going to go over at all, is it? Moses gets angry sometimes. And you can see why. So it says in verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water. It's already said, but they probably continued to thirst. And the people complained. They probably complained even more against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Have they said this before? Yeah. Every time a test comes, they come back and say, It would be better if we go back to Egypt. Why, why didn't we die there? Why do we have to come out here and die? They refused to listen to Moses. They grumbled, complained. They're actually contending with God. Their hearts are still in Egypt. And they start thinking the worst possible thoughts. They're going to die. First, Moses is going to die. (laughs) We're going to get him first and then we'll die. They say the same thing they've been saying before. They're going to die. We're going to die. The worst thing ever could happen. How can we ever get out of this? They were so angry and got so out of control They want to kill their leader. They're mad. And when people are mad, they start doing unreasonable things that can only make the situation even worse. So, you know, have you noticed how anger builds up and starts going out of control? And it's usually over the smallest, littlest thing. Is there such a word as littlest? Okay, good. Sounds good to me. (laughs) It's in Webster's, right? No, it's in in the uh, Vines Greek Dictionary. This text has got them so mad and all these little things that they're dealing with, which is a big deal, you know, you're thirsty. But he's going to take care of it. How is what they're doing going to help the situation? How is that going to help to complain? They fail. Turn it into really a a temptation to sin even more. You look in James chapter 1. And here's what happens in the process of a test being turned into a temptation. James 1.12 Blessed is a man who endures temptation or testing. 
For when he has been approved, that's the purpose of a test. It's to show that the gold is real and all the stuff that was fake, dross, is burned off. The purpose of the test is not to show how bad or there's nothing there. It's to show what is really real, what's good to get that stuff off there. So that's the idea of a test. For when he has been approved, Dokimos, this whole idea of a test, approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He never tempts. He tests. Satan tempts us. The flesh tempts us. The world tempts us. Those enemies. God never tempts us. He does give tests. So those, those words can be related, but we know that God will never tempt us into any kind of sin. Verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. Look at this. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And we could kind of go on. Uh, James is kind of like saying something what we're looking at in Exodus 17. Do not be deceived. Don't let, don't let the enemy deceive you. The enemy can sure do that. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Remember the manna? Boy, what a gift that was, huh? Where did it come from? The Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is faithful. He does not change. He is always the same God that's always been. Of His own will, look at this, He brought us forth. I want you to circle that verse and I want you to think about that. He has His people. He will take care of them. Look, This is how we were born again. Of His own will. It wasn't by our will, but it was His own will that He brought us forth or He gave us birth. Born again. By the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. There's how He takes care of us. Makes us be born again. It's all His will. And He makes us a first fruit of His creatures. We are the best of His creation. His people are. And He does not change and He is faithful and He will give us good and perfect gifts. Always when we need them. And you say, well, what if He takes my life? Well, if you're a believer, you're in a good place, aren't you? So we can't lose either way you look at it. Let's go to part two. We only have two parts today. This is not a three-point sermon today. I don't think they usually are. (laughs) This one is... This is about God. Now, we haven't really seen anything about God. We've seen the children of Israel. We've seen the desert. We've seen the thirst. We've seen Moses. Now we really need to look at the rest of the story. So we move into verse 4. So Moses cried out to the Lord. Finally! Somebody does something right. 
saying, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Turns to God in prayer. Now, I'm not so sure the attitude of Moses here, I like to think it's a righteous anger, and it very well could be. I read some commentaries that stated that way, and then uh, and, and another one said uh, he probably had a little bit of anger here too. Uh, either way, I'm glad he went to the Lord. And sometimes you might be angry. Go right on to the Lord then. Go right there and don't let it keep on going and be angry to other people. Be angry and then bring it to the Lord like the psalm, psalmist does. David did so many times. And then you'll see that, oh, this is a different view here than, than what I'm seeing here God has. <laughs> Um, I remember when, as Moses says, they're they're trying to stone me. Uh, whenever uh, Zach was a little guy, and we had one of these little bitty swimming pools. I don't know how old he was six, five, six, seven years old, and had had his little cousins over, and they're all about the same age. And there's one that was uh, he was real he's tall for his age and everything, but but it was kind of funny, you know, um, the, uh, a little girl. Uh, which was his cousin, a girl cousin, was just playing with him and, and putting water on him and everything. And he says, and, and he meant this. I thought it was the funniest thing, and to this day I, we still talk about it, but he says, they're trying to drown me! They're trying to drown me! You know, he's blaming on all the other little kids. You know how that goes. He was serious, you know, and it, I guess he thought they were going to put his head underwater and everything, and we heard him outside saying that, and we thought, oh, he's just joking. No, he wasn't joking. They're trying to kill me. So Moses probably is at the point where he really thinks they're going to stone him, and they could have. I think it's very possible. He knows this is threatening, though. This is a situation I don't want to be. They want to kill him. He's saying, he's not exaggerating as far as he's concerned. This is genuine. Moses is at a loss at what to do. So if he's at a loss, what do you do? Well, she go right to the Lord. Turns to him in prayer. Seems to be at the end of the rope. If men will not listen, God will always listen. God always listens to our prayers. So let's back up and go to Exodus 15. Let's look a few times where Moses goes to the Lord in prayer. I think as a leader of these Israelites, he needed to do that a lot. And we see that recorded a lot. 15.25 This is where the bitter waters were made sweet. Remember that? So, this is Moses. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Cries out to the Lord and the Lord just what? Showed him a tree. So then take that and throw it in there. Immediately. Okay. How about chapter 32, verse 30 of Exodus? Moses just goes right to the Lord. And this is the golden calf deal here where the Israelites are, uh, have put that thing up. And he comes down from the mountain. Well, you know, Moses is very disturbed by that, as anybody should be. Uh, what does he need to do? Well, now, it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. 
idolatry, one of the greatest sins against a holy God. And there he is interceding for these sinful, sinful people. And if you're not going to forgive them, then take me out of the book. Numbers 11.2 Moses, I think, was learning the patience of God there as he prayed that. They're complaining again. They're tired of the manna. Remember the manna that they were given? Now they're tired of it. Verse 1. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. This is on down the road. They've had plenty of chances. They were young back then, but now they should know better. God treats us differently in our walk with the Lord as years go by than when we first became Christians. He's displeased now. The Lord heard it and His anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses... And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tibera because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. You know, they get names of towns. Towns are renamed or areas are renamed because of their actions. And that's what we see today in our text and here in Numbers 11. It's happening again. They get these names of places scattered all out in the, in the wilderness. And it's to remind them and all their generations uh, to come (laughs) what they did. They were so tired of manna that God was tired of their complaining. And He took some of them out. Eventually, God's wrath or His anger has to be done. He's a righteous God. We haven't seen any anger to the Israelites And we're already in Exodus 17. We haven't seen that anger, have we? But eventually it has to happen. But it's amazing. He's very merciful. He only took out some. Could have just taken them all out. Look at verse 11. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Verse 12. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. They want the meat now. They're tired of the manna. They're complaining again and again and again. Chapter 14, verse 13 of Numbers. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Moses is interceding for the people again. See, Israel was refusing to enter Canaan. God told them to go on in. 
Uh, verse 2, you'll see the word complained there. You know, you want to start complaining, and I mean, underlining, complain. You'll see it quite frequently in Exodus and Numbers and, and throughout. Uh, but here, he says that the people out there in the nations that were coming to, that they would, uh, you know, fear uh, you and, and, and as they see us coming. And they, we are the people that have had you face to face, five by day, fire by night. How about verse 19? Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Keep forgiving like you have forgiven. He's interceding for these evil people. Over and over, they do what they do. Well, what's the answer to Exodus 17? We know because we read the book, right? But let's study this. Let's see what happens here. Is God angry in Exodus 17? Has every right to be. Verse 5. And the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Go on before the people. Walk through them. Get ahead of them. I know that they said they're going to stone you. Walk through them. Get up there. Get the elders. And we're going to do something. Take in your hand your rod. Remember the rod represents God's power. Something visible. With which you struck the river, the Nile River, and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock and hoard and you strike the rock, water will come out of it that people may drink. It's going to have the elders along. They're going to be witnesses. I'm sure the elders are mad too. God is so gracious. He answers with abundance. Doesn't say anything against the Israelites or Moses here. He says, do this. Moses does it. God answers. He could have had Moses take that rod and start summoning all the ten plagues that happened to Egypt. Right then on the spot. He could have done that, couldn't he? Little children. The women. The animals. The locusts could have started coming and attacking them, and or you know those. Remember the movies back uh, in the fifties and sixties, Alfred Hitchcock and all those could have had the birds come at him, you know, or the bees. <laughs> he could have just destroyed them and, and tortured them. However, you know, he should have, you know, in, in one sense with what they're doing. I mean, total unbelief is what it is. He could have punished them so severely, and what do we see here? The gracious. Mercy of God. Now, that's what happened to us. And it happens every day to us too. That same mercy and grace that He had there, He gives to us. Look at Psalm 46 1. Everybody knows this verse God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble. That's it. Does that say a lot? Well, you could live on that verse. 
you have no other verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. They have trouble. No water. That is serious. I know. God's going to take care of it. It's okay. He's my very present help in trouble. Remember that this week, okay? Remember that. God gives directions to Moses. We note that the rock is near Horeb. Horeb or Sinai. That's connected with the Ten Commandments, which we are going to see very shortly. Starting at chapter 19. They didn't have chapter 19 back then. But... Ooh, that sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? You've heard of chapter 13? They took chapter 13. This is chapter 19. But it's not far. It's not far from Rephidim. They're in that area now. They're close to Mount Sinai. Um, the people are able to drink this water that's going to be coming out. They're able to, to drink the water and still be located in Rephidim. So Rephidim and Horeb or Mount Sinai, it's all in that area. If you look further on into verse 8, which we're not going to do today, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. So they are in that Rephidim area. They're close to Mount Sinai. They're getting very close. Moses instructed to walk ahead to Horeb with some of the elders. Strike the rod with the staff just like he struck the Nile. And by this action, he's going to reinforce to the elders. They'll hear and they will be telling about it. All the people are going to understand that Moses is the leader here. Moses used that rod representing the power of God. So God uses human instruments to do His thing. That's why we have such a privilege to be instruments of God to take forth the Gospel, the good news. He doesn't have to do that at all. But isn't it a privilege to be able to give truth of the Gospel to people who need it? Anyway, they didn't realize that Moses was chosen by God to do this. Nobody else was able to go out and do that. That wasn't what Moses was supposed to do. He could have just had water. God could have just had water from a fountain or stream coming out of there where they haven't been yet. You know, and just have it you know, already there and it's coming right on down through a mountain or whatever. But he chose to do this in a miraculous way that He would show His power and make it a miracle of mercy. See His mercy visibly. So God shows His power. Same time, He puts the honor upon Moses as He's the one that was to put this into action. Yahweh is the Lord of the desert. Physical deserts. About spiritual deserts. You ever been there? You there now? He's the Lord of the desert. He's there. He's there. And he has the He has the water to turn on at any time. Excuse me for applying this spiritually, but I can't help it. Because we'll see that this is to be applied spiritually in a quick moment here as we move down through this text. 
He was the Lord of Egypt, wasn't He? You remember all their lords they had? All the gods they had? Well, He defeated every one of them, didn't He? Just blew them away. He's the Lord of the desert. He's the Lord of everywhere. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of all. So Moses is going to obey. And we see that we're in a very hostile area, have been in a hostile area. We are strangers in a foreign land. As we march around, Sinai is really a particular site that is really that exhibits exhibiting grace. You see grace in this area. And you will see law. It's going to take them a long time to learn the law. For it takes a long time for people to learn the law today. The law of God. But when they see that that law is so holy and you cannot follow the law without Christ. For He is the one who has fulfilled that law. The law is a good thing, isn't it? Because it was a mirror and showed us our awful, evil, wicked hearts before Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the law. I know it doesn't save. It can't save. It was never designed to save. It was to show our sin. And then when we see that, then we cry out for mercy. When Moses obeys, immediately water comes streaming out of this place. It goes into streams and rivers down to all these people. It's the gushing of the rock. And I want to take you through Psalms for a moment and examine what happened at this moment. In Psalm 78, this is exciting what happened. It wasn't that there was a little bit of water started a little trickling out of a rock. Psalm 78, 15 and 16. When God blesses, He blesses. He split the rocks in the wilderness. You ever seen a rock split? You ever seen those rocks in the wilderness? Those huge, massive rocks? Most like mountains. And gave them drink in abundance, like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. <laughs> Did you catch that? It's like rivers, streams coming out of this rock. Move on. Chapter 105, verse 41. This is just incredible. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. All of a sudden, it looks like the Nile River coming out of there. Running, streaming down. Deep. Chapter 114, verse 8. God is a God of desert. God is a God of miracles, isn't He? My, my who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Immediately, those people would get a drink. They didn't wait in a line uh, like 2,000 people at a time. I mean, they were, they were all just going for this, this river 
fountains, pools, <laughs> water just everywhere. Wow. Isaiah. Isaiah even mentioned something about that. Isaiah 48.21. This could be something that's in the future, but I think it probably could relate to what we're talking about. And they did not thirst when He led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. <laughs> gushed. Matthew Henry said that it's probable that the people dug canals and pools for the receiving of the water as it was coming down. Here it is like rivers and streams and that kind of thing. Because later on he does that too. I mean, if, if, if you want to just kind of let this keep on going, you know, you, you've got this flow of water and hey, we could just keep doing it. They're, they're digging and it keeps streaming on further. Uh, they did that at the Valley of Baca. If you go to Psalm 84 verse 6, These people were complaining while they go. Just a seconds ago, and all of a sudden, they've got rivers and streams. Can you imagine how they must have felt at this time? As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They, they made it a well. Uh, or in Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. 21, verse 8. 18, 18, I'm sorry. The well, the leaders... Oh, back up, verse 17. Then Israel sang this song. And this was from Mount Hor to, to Moab. Okay, is when this happened. They sang a song, Spring up, O well. Oh, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? <laughs> We've ever heard that one before? Spring up, O well. All of you sing to it. The well, the leaders sank dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. So, you know, there were wells coming out. Have you ever wondered how they got water throughout that whole wilderness wanderings? God was just giving them water everywhere and they were actually digging canals and wells, supposedly. Could be very well possible what's happening. How refreshing this water must have been. So pure, so clear. It must have been the best water that they ever drank in their life. It was so pleasurable. They're taking it in. But you know what? There's more to this. I don't think it, at that moment they really took it in a spiritual way because it was so thirsty. They're just lapping this up and pouring it all over themselves, just putting their head into the water. Just you know, This is just great. But the spiritual delights that are here are abundant. And I hope some of them took that in. Because in this story, we can glean much. Just us. You're probably not too thirsty. You had a cup of coffee or something earlier, right? Might still have one, right? So let's go into the spiritual matter. It seems that to most of them it availed nothing but just some water to relieve them. Let's identify the rock. You know who that rock is? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Paul had a reason for writing something in that chapter that comes out right out of the text that we're dealing with. 
Let's read, pick it up in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, (laughs) that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. What is that, Paul? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. The rock, the Apostle Paul, recognized pure grace. Do you see pure grace at this rock? The abundant supply of water coming out of there? And here Paul identifies the rock as our Jesus. God gave the water to the people without any conditions. He could have said, okay, guys, if you obey me next time, or if you do some of these things, then I'll give you the water now. But you've got to do this first. No conditions. That's what grace is. I mean, I want you to take it to the ultimate degree. Grace means we can't take any credit because we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to deserve it. And by the way, it is literally meaning unmerited favor. We didn't do anything. We could not do anything. Our hearts were like their hearts. They were complaining. On the spot, and the water comes down. Abundant mercy and grace. This is pure grace. Incredible. Without condition. He freely gave the Son of God to us. No conditions. Paul went on to say in this 1 Corinthians 10 that it's possible to taste that grace as the Israelites tasted that water and still not persevere in the faith. Because you look at the end of the chapter and we see that he's talking about an evil generation. And you look in Hebrews and you see that too. Many of those people really were not believers. Perseverance will show that you are a true Christian. God is the one who keeps you. We can't keep it. None of us would ever keep Him if it was left up to us by ourselves. Our flesh is not good enough. It's Jesus Christ. In John 7, there is an analogy there that we don't want to miss here. In John 7, 37-39, Jesus mentioned something about living water. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. It's been a very loud cry. A voice came out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to Me 
and drink. At that very festival, at that very moment, they would have the, the carrying of, uh, of uh, this, this water and that was to represent, you know, uh, down through the years. And of course, you can take it all the way back. This was like uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is where they're at. And there'd be a procession of this. And there'd be an uh, altar with the water container and the temple and, and you'd have the, the choir singing hallelujah, the hallel. Psalm uh, maybe 113 I think um, it was offered and sacrificed to God they say that this could be the very moment as the priests were all attending to that water here Jesus is and he's crying out and he says look at me he says come to me and drink that's just a type a symbol of me you come to me this is where you get the living water He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And one more verse. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In the book of Acts chapter 1, you see the Holy Spirit coming in power and that is where the church is born. And now they're able to do things and speak things that they could not before. But here he gives a prophecy out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Something that the Holy Spirit will be coming in and filling your life so that you can totally come to me, to glorify me, he's saying. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of that rock is flowing physical water But it means much more than that. That rock is Christ as we look in Exodus. So He is found in the book of Exodus. Did you know Jesus is found in every book of the Bible? And He has a name in every book of the Bible. Here He is the rock of Exodus. can be many other names, but I think as you look at it today, that's a good characteristic of nature, isn't it? Of God. He's the rock. That's where we get our abundant supply. The graces and comforts of the Holy Spirit are compared to rivers of living waters. Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, they're all there. Do you know the triune God has been eternal and He always will be? We have the triune God always watching us in His fullness. Now, what is God going to do about this? People drank the water. Moses did what God told him. Last verse, verse 7. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the tension, contention of the children of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying His Lord among Israel. Here's some names to remember. The Israelites had hard hearts. They wouldn't submit to the Lord. So they rebelled against His will. And there's a generation all throughout the 40 years that had unbelieving hearts. There were people that were strewn out all over that desert because they did not trust God. All throughout from Egypt all the way till the time they got to Canaan. They even complained at the end of the 40 years. And you know what they complained about at the end of the 40 years? What's your guess? Water. Look in Numbers 
chapter 20. This is just remarkable. My, how hard can a heart be? Numbers, chapter 20, right? Verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Does this sound familiar? And the people contended, this is like 37 years or so later, and they spoke saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Children's children, they don't learn anything. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink? So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and He was hallowed among them. That's where He struck the rock twice. God told Him to what? Speak to the rock. It blew the type that was already set up. The rock had been struck. This time you just speak. Moses was very angry, but uh, he wanted them to see a little bit of his power there too, didn't he? His anger. And the consequences happened to, to Moses there too. They were an unbelieving generation. Look in Psalm chapter 95, verse 6. Remember this? We sing this quite frequently. Matt Papa. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. You know what it says after that? Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work, For forty years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways, 
So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about that. There is a rest. If you've trusted in Christ, placed it in Him, He has graced you, you have entered the Sabbath rest. But in Hebrews 3, on into 4 there, we see that wicked, evil generation. Poneros means evil, wicked heart. A Christian cannot, fortunately, have an evil, unregenerate, wicked heart because he has been converted. But there are a lot of people out there in that wilderness that really weren't converted. God had graced them, had mercyed them, but they were an unbelieving generation. That's what Hebrews 3 is about. And we saw it there in Psalms. That's, this is unbelievable, isn't it? This shows you where people can really be at. Testing and complaining. Well, God has to make sure that people remember. And you know slogans like, Remember the Alamo? You heard of that before? Um, remember Pearl Harbor? Remember 911? Those weren't positive things that happened. But we remember them. For we know that that same thing could happen to us at any time again. And that's why we're not to be a prideful people. And we are to be reminded that this uh, is something that people are going to have to know. God sets up memorials for not only that generation but the generations to come, the children that they have. So as they would tell the story, or if they happen to be walking by there, they could tell the story. Here's what happened. History is very important. Know your history. And you'll see that man has always failed. He sets up countries, governments. God is the one that gives them those boundaries. He's doing that. But yet, man takes the pride in what he has done and he's going to make it the greatest nation ever and of course what happens to all those empires that I have. There's a lot of history in there that people should be reading and, and seeing why they died out. We've seen an exodus where God has already set up memorials for those generations. Mankind has a tendency to forget. We all forget. We forget. We need to be reminded constantly of God's promises, His Word. That's why we need to be in His Word or listening to His Word every day or somebody teaching and preaching. Somebody that's very good. Listening to those things, filling your heart, and that will give you joy. And you won't forget. But we still forget, and that's one reason why we come to church here. You can say, well, I've been to church and I've already heard these stories and I've read the book of Exodus. Well, I hope that you've gotten some out here today that you didn't know before. And if you did know before, now you're reminded of that now. (laughs) The manna in the jar, you know what that was? That was to remind them of God's goodness. He wanted them to always know that. He's a good God. This was to remind them of their lack of trust. So now he starts putting negative reminders around there, doesn't he? Memorials. A new name is given to this place. It's not about the mercy of the miracle, really. 
It's about the sin of the murmuring. It's a memorial about sin. This was a memory kept of sin for the disgrace of the sinners and for warning of future generations that come along and and not believe God. That warning is, is like saying, don't you commit the same sins of your fathers. So this place was given a double name. That's one thing about giving one name, but two names. Masa Meribah. It's a place where they charge their human leader with evil motives. Meribah. It's a place where they demanded that God prove His care for them. They want God to prove that. Masa. That's the idea. Meribah means to uh, quarrel. This was to remind them that they argued with God. They quarreled with God. It was like, remember when you quarreled with the living God? This would be unforgettable. They'd have to tell this story. They'd tell it to their children. Tell it to their grandchildren. Masa means testing. God tested them, but this is a testing of by them as they tested God. They needed to learn that God tests His people. They're not to test Him. You know, God tests His people in everyday experiences. Some of them are small. Some of them are a little bit bigger. and Some are just seem huge to us. But they give us strength. They build our character. If we can just keep that in our minds, He's giving me strength. He's giving me character. I don't see it. <laughs> this, is, this is really hard, God. I don't see it, but I'm going to trust you. They ask this question. Is the Lord among us? It's almost like, I, I, don't, I don't even think God really cares. There are clouds up there. I'm not even sure that's Him. This is a case of open, unrestrained, verbal unbelief. When they say that, you say, where'd you get that? Well, that's right at the end of uh, our verse 7. So he called the name of place Masa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's our title for the day. The very name of the place. John Calvin said this about this in his commentary. The very name of the place was as much to say that the earth itself cried out, that the people in their perverse nature were rebellious and given to unbelief. They acted as if God had no power to help them. Very well stated. Now, we've seen three cases in a row of grumbling and complaining. And then you say, man, I heard this message the last time you did this. And, and the week before, you, you talked about the same thing. This is what happens in our lives a lot, and the very same thing keeps going on. All three occasions are answered by God in a very gracious and merciful way. When you look back in numbers and other places, you don't see, you see grace, but you also see God's judgment. Israel's rebellion is both sudden 
It came like, it just out of nowhere, it seemed like, and then it just sustained. It kept going. Why does God put up with it? He does so because He has the full picture in view. And we don't. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For we don't even know what's going to happen after we walk out of here. We have ideas, we have plans, and that usually goes about, Lord willing. But we really don't know all the little details that are going to come. Aren't you thankful that we don't know those things? But a lot of times we're wondering, why? What is this, what is this going to? What's it got in mind? I can tell you what. I can tell you one thing. And I don't know much about those. But I can tell you it's going to work for good. I can't tell you anything else. And, and you know what? You may not ever know the reason why. And that's okay. It's probably good that we don't know the reason why right now because if we really did, we probably couldn't handle it. He has a full picture. His promises were made to the patriarchs. And it doesn't matter what the children of Israel do out there. He's going to make sure that that promise continues. He's going to make sure that His word is true. So we have to remember... At this time, God had just started a relationship with them. They're like babies. They're like infants. They're just learning who He is. We're kind of that way. (laughs) They still need a bigger picture of the holiness of God. Well, they're marching. They're marching to the mountain. They're going to see the holiness of God like they haven't seen before. The thunderings. The lightning. The trumpet blasts voice of God (laughs) at this mountain it's where they're going and they're struck with fear because the holiness of God is what it's about they need that picture they saw a picture of God they've just been seeing grace after grace after grace John Calvin again said this so do we see how God's immeasurable bounty surpasses all the wickedness of man and how by turning their vices to salvation He brings light out of darkness. Isn't that amazing? Out of all this, we see God's grace right at the end of the story. That's what it's about. Oh, you know, this is almost distasteful to read all this. How could they do that? And then you see God at the end doing His thing. Now, bringing this into our own application, just a few sentences here. In our own lives, how many places should really be named testing and quarreling? Maribon, Mas. Right? How many places should be called that? Testing and quarreling. How often we complain about our circumstances and how often we fail to trust God. It's one thing to sit in church and sing all the way the Savior leads me. And then it's another thing to come face to face with the difficulties of life that we've been assigned to, that God has given us, that are totally beyond our control. It's another thing then to say, God, not my will, but Your will be done. Corey Tindum used to say this, don't bother to give God instructions. Just report for duty. 
You don't have to worry about what you're going to do. Just report for duty. Whatever He has assigned for you, that's what, what you're going to do. Do I have anything... Page 2 of 3. Okay, page 3. Our lesson for the day. We are to live in dependence upon God. Even in the greatest difficulties, God can open up fountains for our supply when we least expect them. Waters in the wilderness because He makes a way in the wilderness. We are not to contend and complain but rely upon the grace of Christ who meets all our needs. Let's pray. Father, You certainly are the awesome, great God. You are full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth. And may we ever be desiring to follow You in obedience, trusting You, even when we don't know what is going on in our lives, we see at the end of this story, again, it's a story of grace. And we as Christians need that message. We can't say that word enough. Grace. 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 For that's what we have every day to get by. And that's all we need. It's more than sufficient. It's from the rock. Jesus Christ. Thank You for supplying that. Help us to live out this life. We know that each one of us have our own circumstances. Some are harder than others. But yet, Lord, the answer to all of this is it's too simple. It's very hard. But it's trust You. Because we see Your Word here and we do see how You always end up each story. Your grace is there. And so we want to magnify that today. In Jesus' name, Amen.